All right, Luke, thanks for coming in. We're going to talk today about how uh, your side handles the electrical work uh, and how All South and you like to go about setting up a project, running a project, logistics, manpower, material. So uh, for everybody that doesn't know who you are, uh, can you give us a little introduction and background? Yeah. Yeah, I appreciate you having me. I'm Luke Harris. I'm a senior project manager for All South Electrical. Been with them 25 years, actually, this year. So it's been a long, you know, long run. But yeah, just oversee, you know, multiple jobs. I'll have superintendents under me. And um, yeah, just basically from contract to finish, you know, just everything in between. So, okay, let's get into it. Let's talk about um, what happens on your side once you're awarded a project once we've gone through the pre-con stage and we have all agreed on a price we signed that contract what's the first step that you have to start considering when setting up a job well these days you know in recent years um you know one of the first things obviously is order switch gear and other items you know that keeps popping up literally order it you know, as soon as possible because we're, you know, seeing such bad lead times. But also just gathering a scope, you know, for myself to have who's going to manage this job under me, what crews we might use, actually doing some physical takeoffs, you know, stuff that may not be taken off already, and just, you know, starting to get an idea of the whole scheme of things. What do you have to go through before you order the switch gear? Because I know we'll get a set of drawings but you can't just automatically go ahead and place that order. What do you have to go through to be able to get to that point where you can even order switch gear? Well, I mean, it's, it has to be a, you know, we have to work together on that because it has to be, you know, we have to have this approved submittals. It has to be, you know, everything thought out. But, I mean, basically just approved submittals and as much as possible a complete set of drawings is, you know, it hardly ever is, but you know, as much as possible, because mm -hmm. if it changes, there you go, you're backing up and it could mm -hmm. be up to one year, you know, for some of this equipment. So on our end, it's extremely important from the get go to start chasing down submittals and shop drawings for electrical requirements so that we can get that gear ordered, especially now that everything's kind of difficult to get with the supply chain the way it is. Yeah. Uh, we, we need to put emphasis on the design team to review uh, the submittals that we send in for you so we can get that equipment ordered as quickly as possible. And if there are any changes that need to be made, they need to get those back to us as soon as possible and not just wait for them to eventually get them back to us. We need to constantly push them and emphasize how important it is to be able to get that information uh, and the, or the correct information so that we can order that switch gear. Otherwise, it can affect your critical path. Yeah, it definitely will. And it's not even, you know, say you wait, you, know, you get the contract or we get the contract. We're still going through the submittal process. Maybe something lingers on, you know, there's still questions out there. It, until we get that order, like say it's 30 days at the front end of the job or 60 days. When you get down to the time where you need power and you need, you know, things to turn over, mm -hmm. that's a big difference at the beginning of the job versus right in the middle of the job. Oh, no, it's going to be 60 more days. So oh, yeah. 
everything has to be thought out so much more than it used to be because all of the submittals, as much as possible, we need to push to get them out to you and, and you know, y'all need to push to try to get um, approved or, you know, come to some kind of solution to what we need because it's not just that. It's all kind of random, you know, materials. Uh, the last couple of years, we've had to buy all the Romex for a job, you know, uh, before anything started. We've had to buy all of the PVC that's going in the ground. You know, the whole allotted best guess that we can buy it all um, because of fluctuating prices and availability. So it's... I mean, we even had an issue with boxes. Oh, no, here. boxes are still an issue. Yeah, really? I mean, it's especially fiberglass, you know, fire-rated boxes. But the last couple of years, we've been buying entire, you know, project um all the Romex, all the pipe, all the boxes, and having to, um, you know, be like a stored material process, you know, which we have to work out, you know, with you guys and the owner ahead of time to be able to bill for this. And, uh, I mean, it's only possible, like, our suppliers are basically storing this stuff for us. I mean, luckily, there is a lot of stuff that we store ourselves, but, um, yeah, a lot of it, they're buying it, holding it for us and giving us warehouse space and letting us do that. But that's what has to happen. Mm-hmm. So, Nowadays you yeah. got to buy it early. And if it comes in early and it's not time, you got to store it somewhere. Yeah. And if you don't have on-site storage, you got to come up with it somewhere else. Yeah. And of course there's jobs where we do end up storing it on site, but as long as the supplier will hold it for us, you know, um, they're wanting to be paid for it, but still they're, they're holding it for us. It's great. All right. So, Getting switchgear equipment, products approved through the design team so that you can order all of this material, wire size, everything that you're going to use on the project is critical to go ahead and get, especially the infrastructure of the electrical system, um, get approved early on so that you can start working on getting that material, especially nowadays. Um, but after the submittal process, what's the what's the first thing you do when you get on site? Because you're one of the first to get on the site. You're yeah. one of the last to leave. What do you have to uh, worry about first thing on the site? First thing usually is how are we getting temporary power across the site? Mm-hmm. You know, usually we come out there, you know, hook up a job trailer or figure out what it's going to take. Hopefully have a meeting with the power company, you know, with the... Um, there should be an assigned engineer no matter where you go and making a plan and honestly seeing what they're willing to do and going from there. Cause you know, a lot of jobs they're not willing to do very much or you take a gamble on them, you know, the power company doing it in a timely manner, and it might not make sense. It may be better for, you know, the electrician to run around the job site, which that's not ideal for us, but you got to get power pretty much every building or you're going to be working off of generators. Mm -hmm. So that would be the first thing. And then um, I'll say one big thing, and it it all depends on the job, you know, the type of job, garden style apartments, you know, there's nothing underground very much. Any other, you know, any jobs that I have secondaries going in the ground, it's always a lot of coordination. If there's any elevation changes uh, in the slab, that's got to be coordinated. Before your concrete guy is out here doing anything, we need to sit down, have a plan of this is where my secondaries need to go. What do we have to pass through or under? Because although any walls, you know, will be under footings, 
spread footings we have to miss. You know, we need to be under, uh, typically going around those. So, I mean, definitely all that needs to be looked at. And if we're, you know, in the same, you know, going back to the power, when you're setting up the temporary power on the job, if you have three phase, usually in, in you know, the multifamily buildings that we do, you normally have three phase because of elevators. Unless you're WebGen. Yeah. And then yeah. you get single phase. Yeah. No, there's a lot that do that. I've seen, you know, more and more doing that where it's all single phase and we, we add another leg with some you know, transformers and phase converters. I mean, if it's a single phase job period, you don't have to worry about it. But if you're going to set up temporary service on the job and it's possible, set up three phase T-poles because everything else will still work. But then depending on your elevator company, um, some of them won't work off a generator, you know, for, for building their car out and they're going to require it. So, I mean, if you have, you know, sometimes maybe Schindler, some of these other companies, they want the actual power and they won't put it in any other way. So if you don't have three phase, you're going to be in trouble. So we always try to do that. Mm-hmm. We were lucky we were able to make it work out here and get those phase converters to go from single to three phase uh, that were going to be permanent to be able to run that elevator and then just run the temp power that we had into that phase converter. So it gave them the simulation of what will be permanent power. So they were willing to go ahead and do the install, even though we didn't have that permanent power, but we basically had everything all in place to work the way they needed it to. Yeah. So we had on this case, single phase temporary power and had our permanent phase converter. And we were at a point in the job where we could install it and let the elevator guy have everything he needs by having that in place. So, yeah, I'd say we kind of got lucky on that one. Yeah. Sure. All right. So when you're talking about T-poles, what are some of the things you've got to consider when you're putting in a T-pole? Well, a lot really. And um, I'm sure there's ways you could break it down and say, oh, I got to have, you know, 100 amp for this section and 200 amps for this. You just need to size it bigger than what you think you're going to need. And um, usually, you know, in a, I don't know, I say average size section of building, you're going to have temporary lights going down every corridor if it's closed corridors and you're going to have outlets with, you know, GFI outlets every, you know, 50 feet or 75 feet, something like that. So, I mean, you're going to need for every big section of building, say five stories high, you're going to need like a little hundred amp panel to feed that. And that's if there's no other equipment, welders or, you know, any, anything particular that some trade might need. Usually there's not, they'll, they'll bring whatever they need to supply that. But how often do you have to pull the permit for the T-pole? If there is a permit required for the T-pole, like at exec park, we had to pull a separate permit for that T-pole for DeKalb County, but that was on us to have to do. How many times do you have to do it? Normally just for like, say we set a T-pole up by the street Mm -hmm. and we're just pulling a permit just to set that T-pole. And really anything after that that's temporary, even if we're, you know, trenching it in, running it around, getting it where we need to go, it's all temporary. Basically, we're going to pull anything out that we can at the end of the job and it's going to be gone. So none of that stuff, you know, we we get the temporary temporary pole inspected and hot. And after that, there's nothing else inspected on the temporary, um, except, you know, us Mm -hmm. walking for safety and stuff. But what about placement on the job? How do you figure that out? Mm hmm coordinating it with the superintendent um what do you need to consider overhead damages if you're running overhead lay down areas you know that just somewhere that it's going to be safe 
It's not going to be where it's going to get run over by a forklift. So like out here on this specific one, we had to do two different secondary T-poles, I guess you could call it. We had a, an original one that we were using for the trailer, and then we came off of that one to a T-pole for each building. And to get to those, we had to go overhead, but we did it at about about 30 feet in yeah, the air. Yeah, 30 or 40 foot poles mm-hmm. and had them where there's nothing going to hit those wires. Yeah. Um, so, And that was also with help from the uh, power company yeah they actually brought us some of their poles we set the poles Mm -hmm. they ran the wire they had some extra poles the tall ones so that we could use for this and yep they they donated the poles and they that's not normal for them to help us that much i would say they helped us a little more than than average but then again i'll go to some jobs it might be in atlanta might be anywhere and they're like yeah we'll set you you know we'll to get over to your job, yeah, we don't mind. We'll set some overhead poles to, to get the power here, and, you know, we'll help you every way we can, and they'll give a lot more than, than other places. Other places, they're like, no, we don't have the, the time or the equipment, and uh, it's kind of on your, you know, it's on you. Here's the power. We'll give you some power right here at the front of the job, and it's on you. I've definitely had that. Figure it out from there. Yeah, you just got to figure it out. Here's your power, and do what you need to with it. So, And a lot of that, you know, you got to keep in mind, when we're bidding the job, we're planning on always having the power in the building. We're going to provide lighting in the corridors. We're going to pl- provide outlets in the corridors, but we definitely don't include normally running all the way around the job site to get it there. We expect, you know, we're considering that there's a, we're able to set a T-pole right outside the building and come in, you know, uh-huh. and, and provide power to that building. So it's an extra expense, but, um, you know, sometimes that's all you can do. All right, so we started talking about some of the uh, underground stuff and coordinating with the concrete guys. Another guy that we have to always coordinate with is the plumber. Make sure that we're accounting for their sanitary and their storms, especially if there's any roof drains um, in the building. I remember at Exec Park on that lower end, he had sanitary going one direction out of the building and storm going the other direction out of the building. He had Mm a hard time just with his stuff, and so we took your – main secondary feed going from one switch gear to the next and we put it actually under the middle of the apartments and went yeah. down the entire length of the slab yeah. to get and out only, of his way only crossed him once or twice yeah mm-hmm. so yeah that is one thing i was thinking about is so many jobs that i go to you know we get the contract we're you know doing our our things building up to the job and before you know when i finally make a, a job site visit they say oh yeah the plumber's starting tomorrow and I'm, you know, you're like, well, hold on. I got secondaries. I've got this and that. It's got to go in. So if it's, if it's a three phase job and sometimes a single phase job, you know, we've got to run conduit under the slab. If you have interior electrical rooms, there's something that's got to go in there. And it might be from maybe three, four inch conduits all the way up to 16, you know, conduits, depending on how many mains you have in that area, or it could be more, but you're talking about a huge trench that is not going to slide over top of the plumbing, you know, once the plumbing's in the slab. The only thing, I mean, you know, electrical has to coordinate with the plumber. All of his plumbing is, you know, generally, what, 18 to 24 inches, you know, under the bathrooms. 
their trunk line. That's what we have to coordinate. Sometimes I'll be going under him with secondaries. Sometimes I'll be going over him. It just depends where at you know where it falls along his uh, trunk lines. But you definitely can't assume that the plumber always goes first in the slab because most of the time I need to be under him because I have a huge excavation coming through there. And uh, again, like that goes all the way back to if you have walls and elevation changes, electrical room, you know, two elevations above where your transformer sits, it's going to be a process. We're going to have to work with the grader as those elevations get cut in and, you know, stub conduit up, come back, dig it up once he gets it filled, dig up our conduits, extend it. It's a big process. So you're talking about like some of the jobs that we've had on hills where we have to step it up with retaining walls and we have multiple levels like element or chosenwood, novel, or not chosenwood, but echo, novel, all those that step and so you have to take that exactly. conduit underneath the footing stub up behind stub the retaining up. wall yeah wait for them to backfill it exactly. then you tag onto it and take yeah. it up and then go across to the next retaining wall and then go up to the next elevation as we step up yeah. that hill it's a huge process and can you imagine if that got missed oh my god no that like, would be terrible you it would be very very bad so i mean the concrete guys got to work with or it's everybody work fine together as long as everybody knows that this has to happen you know it goes along with everything but it, it's just a process and it has to be uh like i said if that gets missed you're in big trouble but for the guys who are on the gc side they've got to understand that the electrical drawings don't always show how am i getting from no, a to b no that's the th- yeah, yeah you, we got to figure that out it's not shown it's on not the drums. shown it you shows you have it a, out between everybody you have a 2000 amp main here and the transformers here you figure it out connect the dots yeah and you got to consider talking about the slabs unless it's some weird condition your spread footings need to i mean to me they should be all in before me or the plumber start because i don't know how many times I'll have the guys, you know, put something in the slab and, oh, hey, y'all got to come back. <laughs> this is right in the middle of it. We just dug our spread footing right here that apparently y'all didn't know about, and your secondary is running right through it. And then, you know, then you're digging up the whole slab again, mm-hmm. possibly damaging the plumbing that already came in behind you. That's right. So, yeah, all the, you know, which we should be looking at that. Y'all should be looking at that. Plumber should be looking at that. The concrete guy, everybody should be looking at that, but everybody don't. There should be a coordinated effort to look at anything that's going to be underground before you start working on any slab. You should meet with the the electrician, the plumber, concrete guy, and the grader uh, and make sure that everybody's on the same page of what's going to happen on each slab. Come up with a a route because it's not always just black and white. Sometimes you got to change things to be able to make it work and if we are lucky enough to uh, just do the vdc or bim aspect of it you can work that out a little bit differently but we don't always incorporate the electrical uh into the bim model uh it, you we know do what? when it is big enough but we don't always do that and that's something that we the should times look at changing that i have on, on you guys jobs usually the only thing that makes sense has always been to put the secondary conduits on there or any, you know, bigger conduits under the slab, like podium penetrations. Mm-hmm. Because everything else we run just about up in the building is flexible. We can run around things. And well, there's all that does make sense. Where you're running that MC feeders mm-hmm. and you've got 12 of them mm-hmm. next to each other. And we're going through wood trusses and 
go through a uh, girder truss that mm-hmm. ain't got any room in it. Yeah. And now you've taken up a bunch of space and we can't get the duct guy through the sprinklers main yep. line through. So yeah, that does right happen now for sure. we, we kind of, I think it's about two inches and over is kind of what so. we take uh, for the electrical scope in our BIM. But if we're going to have a bunch of stuff that's going to be one inch, one and a half inch, and they're all going to be right there together, they become something bigger than that. And we need to incorporate and plan yeah. for that uh, so that it doesn't become a problem. We had a few tight spots over at Element I remember yeah. having to deal with, um, but we are able to make it work out. But it would have been nice to know about it ahead of time. Yeah. Usually running those big feeders, you know, your main will be on the bottom floor and you're running feeders out of that main, you know, switchboard or whatever it is, um, spreading out through the building. Usually you're running straight up a stack of electrical rooms. You know, it may pass through a low volt room and then up to the next floor, but usually you're just running, um, vertical with those. But yeah, there definitely is time. We had problems over there. Mm-hmm. Well, we had stuff two being on rooms. opposite ends of the building. Yeah, we had to go two. from east side of the building over to the west side of the building on the same floor before we could go up. Right, and that's why we we had to go down. What was that, 150 feet or so, mm-hmm. before we could go vertical again? Yeah, yeah. It just didn't stack on top of each other. Right. Yep. And that was just yeah the way that it was drawn. Mm-hmm. And all of that, none of that is shown. It, it, you know, there's no pathway mm-hmm. shown for us on the drawings. This is how you do it. Your riser diagram does not show that. No, it just says this connects to this, connects to this, connects to this. And you just, so, you know, figure it out. I'm always up into suggestions on, no, that might be better to run it through here, you know, but we're always looking for the shortest route because, mm-hmm. you know, we're trying to not pull as much wire, trying mm-hmm. to save a little bit of money. So how do you, uh, decide manpower i know you do a lot of work with jose and bulldog and uh he is uh, a sub of yours but then y'all have some guys that are hourly how do you decide what jose and his crew are doing versus what your in-house hourly guys are going to do and then how do you set it up with supervision out on a job yeah typically we'll have production crew or a couple of production crews that are, you know, trying to do all the piecework and we're trying, you know, I mean, the goal obviously is to do everything in piecework, but most jobs, unless there's some kind of really escalated schedule with a crew of anywhere from six to 10 production guys can usually keep up with the pace on as far as just the production work. That's pretty much how we do it. So a good crew and some jobs it's less. Some guys, I, or some jobs I could stick four guys out there on a production crew and they keep up and some guys or some jobs you need 15 guys. So, well, I what mean, do you consider in a production crew? Cause I know the obvious answer is going inside of a unit and boxing it out and pulling Romex, but you also have Jose out there doing your secondary runs. Mm-hmm. You have him setting your switch gears. You have him mm-hmm. pulling the wire and terminating into the switch gears. And that's not really could could be he considered something other than production work. Yeah. Typically, I mean, with us, with our company, and I would assume most other companies do the same, my production crew is gonna rough all the units and depending on the contract, maybe doing low voltage as well, pull all the service cable 
going back to, you know, wherever the meters are in electrical room or outside the building. They're going to hang the meters. They're going to uh, trim out the units completely, hang the lights. You know, this same crew or another crew, we like to use the same guy, like the guys that rough it. I like the same guys to trim it because they got to hot check it too. And if there's mistakes, it's their, you know, it's their issue or like a, you know, somebody else causing an issue. Mm. And it depends on the job, a more basic garden style type of job, which we don't, we do, you know, we do garden style jobs. I don't normally get on them, but those type jobs, we don't really have any hourly time built into those jobs. And if we do, it's because, and if we, you know, we always end up with it, but it's because it comes up when something happens. We couldn't trim out this unit completely. The water heaters weren't set. So we got to send somebody back or the framer went through and cut, you know, 150 wires, you know, stuff like that. Some jobs aren't built with hourly time in them. Everything is by the piece. Now, more common, especially on the jobs that I do, where you have a parking deck and you got these elaborate amenity spaces, you know, very detailed landscape lighting and um, all these extra things, big services, switchboards, a lot of that stuff is going to be handled by the hour. So we'll have, you know, hourly crews doing maybe a few guys up to, you know, 20 guys just working because we're, you know, we're on every little aspect of the job. We're in 20 different places, you know, on the job, working on different things um, with it all trying to go at the same time. So ideally, and there's a lot of that too, that we can, you know, we try to do as much as we can as piecework and it's hard to um, make sure that our sub makes money and make sure that it comes out good for us. Because when you, you know, say you're doing site lighting and you got a whole job site full of site lighting and the way the job ends up going is well we got 100 feet of trench that we could put in right here let's go ahead and put this in and okay we got we could pour these four uh pole bases or go trim out this one area it's it it ends up being so many go backs that we can't get anybody to you know Mm -hmm. nobody's gonna want to do it for this price if you got to go back you know they're thinking come out knock it all out at one time so we end up doing that's how a lot of the hourly time comes about and it's just necessary. Most jobs, you can't, you know, can't do it unless you got guys that can just do whatever you need them to do, you know, whenever you need them to do it. So what about your superintendents? How do you set them up? I know some of the other guys consider, and I'm sure you do too, where the guys live and personalities with the GC and relationships with the GC. But is there anything else that you take into consideration when you're trying to set them up? Yeah, no, definitely those things that you said for sure are probably the biggest things. But, you know, their knowledge, I mean, there's so many, so many things that go into these jobs that um, there, there's a lot of things, you know, that might change who I stick on a job. And a lot of it comes down to, you know, who's available. So trying to finish, you know, finish one job so we can get over here and get started and not take away from the job that's finishing. So that's probably the biggest factor. But then making sure that, you know, this guy is going to work out and he's going to be able to handle this size of a job. Is he the right one? Cause he can handle this job, but he could handle a lot bigger. Maybe he needs to be on, you know, something a little more challenging, but we do all kinds of jobs. So, I mean, it's good. There's, it's like, we always have some guys in training that's learning along as they go. And I guess it's good to have big jobs and a little bit simpler jobs. Um, and just trying to place the guys where they need to be, you know, how do you set up your material? 
how do you schedule it and get it here? One, how do you order it? Is there anything special that you've got to do? Because it's not like drywall. Bring me this whole floor of all of this drywall mm-hmm. so that I can hang it. How do you have to do it with your electrical stuff? With uh, gear and metering, you know, I'll normally do takeoffs, you know, obviously by the building or by the section that we're doing. So that's kind of cut and dry. And that stuff is ordered way ahead of time. And most things, like I said, all these things we're buying in advance, doing releases. And um, most things, like, you know, everything that we do is per section, per floor. Like, basically, we'll do, a, you know, a floor in this section. And just about everything that I do, even including light fixtures, the way I release those, I'll basically release about a floor at a time, about what we can get done in a week. That's about what's coming in you know, every week. So that's a lot of deliveries. Um, but at least in that sense, I would possibly bring more, but we have to store it somewhere mm-hmm. and there's never anywhere, you know, hardly ever anywhere to store it. So yeah, we typically bring in the bulk stuff, you know, boxes, Romex, light fixtures, pretty much by the week. Like what are we going to get done this week? And we're looking at that the week ahead or maybe two weeks ahead, depending on how you know, typically it's it's material that we've already purchased, and I'm just setting up releases. So I'm doing takeoffs and breaking them out how I want to. And the uh, suppliers are usually good about working with us on that, and they don't mind usually coming out, you know, once a week to deliver light fixtures. So you basically say you got two buildings. You basically order one building's worth of all of the materials. And then on a weekly basis, you contact the uh, material supplier and say, I'm going to need this much next week. And then the following week, I'm going to need this much so that they can plan it out to deliver what you've already ordered that's sitting at their warehouse. And each week you get a certain amount. It may be lights this week. It may be boxes and Romex next week and so on and so forth. But they've kind of stored the majority of your material. And then you're just telling them, here, I need this amount. Yeah, not even necessarily telling them uh, a week in advance. I'm usually doing takeoffs a week or two in advance. Or at the beginning of when we're starting a building, I'll go ahead and have my breakouts. And normally with light fixtures, yeah, maybe a week in advance. Um, With typical things, especially if it's things we've already bought and they're just waiting to release, a couple of days is all we need. And then on the other hand, you'll see our delivery trucks, you know, just a little box truck coming daily. I mean, there's all... All sorts of daily, yeah, Graybar, AED, Norcross Electric, all these guys, they deliver, you know, we're on their route all the time, every day just about, so uh, just miscellaneous, you know, miscellaneous things. Okay, so what happens, something has come up, and I've got to push you, you, I told you you're going to start two weeks from now, and we're three or four days out, and you can't start. I got to push you to the next week. You've already been planning to put manpower out here. Uh, how do you adjust when that happens? Yeah. Um, you know, sometimes it might like be a blessing, honestly, but, um, on other times it could cause you know, major problems. Um, especially if it's like a regularly occurring thing, if it's a one-time thing, it's, it's usually not that big a deal, but if it's happening over and over, yeah, we could lose the crew. You know, they're going to be doing electrical work somewhere. And hopefully it's, you know, one of our jobs and we can move them to one job to help out, bring them back when it's ready. I mean, it could cause a delay 
in materials, not very likely, but, um, you know, it could. And, you know, if say it's a, uh, if it's a long delay, if it's not just a few days or not just a, a week, say it's a month, you know, something big, you know, happened and, or just somebody just screwed up and, oh yeah, we shouldn't have done that. Let's hold off for about a month and stuff like that it used to never happen. It seemed like now it's happening more and more. It's like, no, 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 no. We're going to have to back up here. I mean, if we go ahead and release 50,000 feet of this type of wire and all this other material to the job, when it hits the job, if it's things that, you know, that's not stored material, we have to pay for it, you know, that month, you know, it's not that big a deal, but it can put us in a bind, you know, financially to have to more than one job at the same time. Exactly. I mean, all it would take would something like that happen a couple of times and, here we are basically like funding this material to just sit here and not being able to bill for it causes problems, you know, but that it's usually rare when something like that happens. What if it's rare, what are some of the typical reasons that GCs do that? Mm. Are there, or is it always <laughs> just kind of a one-off situation? Man, I hate to pick on them, but it seemed like normally like, um, well, it could be, you know, say we're not on the job or you're just beginning the job and um, say the framer is not not doing what they're supposed to be doing. And honestly, the biggest thing is um, if it doesn't get communicated to everybody, you know, and that could be, I mean, I've definitely seen that happen where, oh, no, I'm sorry, I thought we were starting this week, but no, it's, it's you know, six weeks down the road, actually. I think a lot of it goes back to communication, but uh, uh, not being able to get drywall. I've definitely seen that in the past couple of years, not being able to get paint. Just, you know, whatever material. So recently, it's been the supply chain for other trades that has held up people behind it. I think so, yeah. Yeah. And probably labor. Yeah, no, I would say that's the biggest, you know, where things just have to kind of stop and hold up for a second. Or maybe maybe it's um, grading and mud on the streets and people just can't get it right, you know, get their job right. The city's coming, shutting us down. I've definitely seen that, you know, quite a few times. So, yeah, it could be any of those things. All right. What are some of the common things that a GC does that you have seen that don't work well that we can concentrate on trying to keep from happening in the future to make things run smoother? What are some of the things that you deal with on a regular basis that happen from GC to GC? What's a common thing? Mm, I would say um, I guess the biggest part is communicating you know, to everybody and not assuming that, that everybody on the job necessarily knows what the other guy's doing, making sure the schedule is up to date and, um, not trying to put a, push a schedule that's no, in no way possible or accurate, you know, like having an up to date schedule. So unrealistic expectations. Yeah, there you go. That would definitely be a problem. Elaborate on that some. What are some of the things that you've seen on other jobs where the GC is just pushing unrealistic expectations. Maybe it's caused by another subcontractor ahead of you that's pushing the schedule. Uh, sometimes it may be higher education work where we've got a, uh, a locked in finish date. You can't move it. It mm-hmm. doesn't get to move no matter what. And so there's pressure to be able to get it done in time. What happens uh, when a GC tells you, you got no choice, you have to do it this way? <laughs> Yeah. Well, number one, usually everybody's in there on top of each other. So that's going to lead to sloppy work. Stuff gets missed. Everybody has a bad attitude. And then especially when, when it doesn't work out yet, you do everything that you're asked to do. I don't know. I guess you kind of like lose 
faith in the whole process. You know, it's like, I did all this for nothing. Next time I'm probably not going to, you know what I'm saying? Like uh-huh. just maintaining like a, you know, I'm asking you to do this and I'm going to make sure that everybody else gets it done. But there's always, it seemed like there's always one sub or maybe more sometimes that just take the job hostage. And the times where that happens, like the good GCs are the ones that know that it has to be done no matter what. They'll do whatever it takes to make sure that they pick up that person's slack, whether it's supplementing them or just really staying on them and making sure that everybody holds the same standard. But it's hard when you're trying to do everything you got to do and you got this, you know, one sub that's just literally holding everything up and nothing's being done about it. So that's definitely a thing that I see a lot and I don't understand it. And there's probably reasons, you know, why, you know, this sub is not being put through the ringer or maybe he is and it's just not performing. But that's, that's probably the most, you know, I see that a lot. Yeah. I see it a lot. And it's, uh, I don't know, like I said, it doesn't matter. I got to do my job no matter what, but. All right. Outside of schedule, what do you see? What are the things that we can do better on the job site as a whole to make things run better? Things that you've seen and noticed, quote unquote, globally for the job that we can do better? Yeah. Well, I would say having access to be able to get our material and our men in and out of the jobs. And sometimes there's nothing you can do about it, but like having somewhere to park, which I know, you know, maybe the superintendent on the job really can't do anything about that. He has what he has to work with and um, that's it. You know, so many times it, it just makes everything a nightmare if there's no good way in, no good way out, nowhere to unload. Some jobs are easier than others to, to make that possible, but um, that that's a huge issue, you know, trying to uh, get delivery trucks in, staging material. What are things that you wish a GC knew about your trade? Things that aren't known or required for other trades to have to do specific to your trade that you wish more GCs really knew and understood? Well, I would say I see a lot the GC doesn't. I mean, some obviously somebody with their company does, but the guys that I'm dealing with in the field don't necessarily know my scope of work completely don't know the order of things. You know, I mean, there's not any certain way necessarily, but do things in orders that, that doesn't work. You know, putting people in the wrong order on the rough end or on the trim out or it all, it definitely is going to uh, hinder us for sure. I wish that there was some certain, you know, universal way to do everything, but everybody has their own ideas. Sequence of events for the job as a whole from trade to trade is important. But what, if you're looking at a job that one superintendent is running and for whatever reason, especially with your trade, it's running well versus another job that you're on right now where things aren't running well, what's the difference? What is that superintendent doing differently outside of just sequence for sequence of events? What is that person doing differently that makes things run better or what is the other one doing that's yeah. making things worse? Well, walking the job mostly and knowing what's going on on their job. I mean, that's, I mean, you can just tell a difference. If you, if I go into a job and I see the superintendents walking around with a clipboard in their hand or an iPad or whatever, making lists, looking at what's done, looking at what's not, I can kind of tell like, 
right then I know how the job is going to go versus either never there on site or, you know, sitting in the trailer on the computer or whatever. Yeah, I mean, that's that's definitely uh, something that I see. Outside of walking the job, sitting in the trailer, what is something else that some superintendents will do to um, make your life easier right. on the job? No, it's it's going through, you know, going over the schedule in different phases before we start a phase and just knowing what our durations are, making sure we're both aware that we agree on that and it makes sense. And, you know, knowing all of the things that we have to do, you know, in this section and then moving on to the next section, maybe talking again and, and just constantly, not just at the beginning of the job, you know, going over in a pre-con meeting, you know, as the job progresses, continuing that and, and just being knowledgeable about durations, making sure that our material is still on track. Y'all have been really good about that, you know, and, and then just talking about as the schedule progresses on, making sure it all still makes sense. Yeah, because at the beginning of a job, you don't, you kind of got in mind how it's going to go. Um, but everybody knows that plan is going to change. So you can't always assume that what you uh, had talked about at the very beginning, the plans you had made four months ago, five months ago, are still going to be the best way to do it. So meeting again at that next uh, phase of the uh, process to reevaluate, is our plan still good? Do we need to adjust anything? Uh, do we need to accelerate anything? And if we do, talking about it uh, a couple of weeks, a month ahead of time, we know that this is coming. What do we need to do to account for it? Do we have all our material here? Do you have everything that you need from your supplier, especially if it's like critical items? like a switch gear out here, like the uh, meter centers and the, uh, right. the disconnects. Oh, yeah. Disconnects were a big problem here and tracking when we were getting those. But communication, constant communication and understanding what needs to happen on yeah. the job. I, well, and <clears throat> part of that too, <clears throat> excuse me, is uh, you knowing that, you know, whatever trade is not going to have this piece of material and it's going to be something that involves me, but yet go ahead and pushing me on through the, the building just to get it done where it, you know, maybe it doesn't affect anything or, um, make sense, you know, really to push me through now, do it when it's ready. And that way everybody, you know, we can, as long as it doesn't affect the schedule, literally just working with folks and, uh, uh, which that goes back to being able to trust if you're going to let me, well, you know, just wait until next week to let's start this. So everything's ready for you. But, you know, being able to trust me that we're going to follow through and, you know, do what we say we're going to do. So I guess that, you know, that's kind of a big thing is. Definitely helps working together for years to start to trust each other's abilities and understand. Yeah, having a relationship. It's, it's a big part of it. What are some of the ways that you have found that will help the QAQC process, things that you've done or learned over the years that they just work better this way. GC is going to ask you to do certain things in a certain order. Um, but if you would alternate that order, it would make the quality of your work better. What are some of the things that you've seen in the past that have worked well? Mm, I mean, this is a, a little bit off of the subject sort of, but I was thinking – um, you know, Procore 
is changed everything that we do, but only if people really use it. I could see how it's, you know, it's a lot of people, maybe they don't, you know, read every email that comes in, every RFI that comes in and every punch list that come in, but the people that use it, it's, it's made, it's so much simpler than having to send out, you know, write out, you know, punch lists and, uh, you're still writing them out, but it, it just streamlines everything and people that if they will use it or something like that, I think that that's made a big difference, but when it comes down to it and finishing up units, it's still nothing much more simpler than just slapping a piece of paper on the uh, countertop in the kitchen with a list and everybody goes through and signs off on it. Aside from that, all the subs, and I know this is the hardest thing to do to get everybody to do it, but everybody has to walk their work and I have to push my guys, my management on the jobs to walk the work. I mean, I have to push the subs to walk their work then the management to walk their work. You know, I think it's up to everybody to walk their work, make sure it's done and complete it, you know, the best they can. And then, you know, just stay up on the punch list and everything goes smooth. Generally, there's always some folks who don't. Well, one of the things that we learned after Exec Park um, and we started doing that element, it didn't go great but it went better than exec park and then we did it out here and it definitely went better than element was making sure the framer gets done with his punch work before you ever begin any of your work and from executive park to element there is a substantial decrease in the amount of patches that we had to yeah. do uh, after a hot check and then here good gracious alive the the amount of holes that we've cut in these buildings, I probably count on two hands. Yeah. No, nah, that's awesome. But, you know, I think it has, I mean, it has everything to do with the sequence of everything. I mean, there's no reason for me to be pulling wire, just like you said, if the framer's not done. And typically, I think a lot of times what happens, the framer will be done, and they may even be done with the punch in general, and then maybe it's a structural punch or, you know, an engineer that comes out and say, oh, well, you got to add these. That's kind of different, you know, mm -hmm. but it happens. So, you know, it's. But after you've done your rough end and you've got everything in place and Ignacio comes to you and tells you, all right, I'm done boxing out, done pulling my Romex, I'm finished. What, what QC do you do? You said that you want them to walk their work and you want your guys to walk your management to walk the work and check but how do you do that process do you walk it and make lists? do you use it on Procore? what do you do no we typically walk uh, our, my superintendent will go through walk and make a list have them come back and do it and um you know before we call for an inspection and typically once we're inspected unless something else happens that's you know on a rough end that's all of our punch you know it's you know, it's completely punched out at that time. So, but yeah, just a list, walking the units for a list. And usually it's typical items. You know, there might be a one or two things here and there, but it's typically, you know, the same thing over and over, go through the whole building and fix this. But um, yeah, just walking it and making a list. Yeah, we see the same thing. Mm -hmm. So I like to make an MEP uh, QC um, walk where I go and I check all the plumbing, all the uh, mechanical, electrical, low volt, sprinkler, everything before cover up and make sure that y'all have already done your QC. Mm -hmm. And then I go back and just do another set of eyes on it, looking at everything. And then once 
we've passed our inspections and we've gotten through that process, then we're all confident in the cover-up and not having to worry about uh, cutting holes later to fix things. Right. But I think that that part of it doesn't usually happen, the last part, as far as somebody with the GC. And I'm not talking about on your job, so I'm talking about in general with all the people that I work with. I think most of the time, I don't think, you know, most people aren't going back through after our inspections. They just assume it's good and slap some insulation in and uh, throw the drywaller in there. So I ain't got you know. time for it. Yeah. You did it right. Yeah. Hey, that's what we're paying you the big bucks for. It's mm-hmm. got to be right. If it's not right, you have to fix it. Yeah. So, I mean, you. yeah, you're right in a way. I mean, that, that's for sure right. But to come out better, you know, but then it's worth a, walking it. Another item that has to get on the list later on down the road. Either way, you're still going to have to make sure it happens. Yeah. It's always going to come up and you can either deal with it now or um, deal with it later. But you're not going to get away from it. Yeah, absolutely. All right. What are some of the logistical challenges that you have that you constantly uh, deal with and uh, that we need a better solution to deal with? Something that no matter how hard we try, you can't ever seem to get it right. What do we need to try and figure out a better way to do it? Um, I would say one thing would be having storage, you know, on jobs and having somewhere, like I said, our stuff we're bringing in usually a week's supply of wire or light fixtures. We have to have somewhere to put it. Um, and a lot of jobs we do, we have plenty of room for a, uh, you know, a Connex or something, but a lot of jobs we don't, you don't have any lay down room and you, it has to go somewhere. So trying to, you know, give us a closet that we can lock up or give, you know, that's something that's just always a challenge. And I, I'm not saying it's, on the GC to figure that out, but it's always a challenge and it, it takes some cooperation from the GC to some creative storage ideas. I guess another one would be, um, I mean, it's not, well, I mean, it can be a logistic problem is like at the beginning of the job, getting, getting the, um, temporary power around the job site and maintaining it. I mean, a lot of times you can't, everybody's got their material stacked everywhere and, it just needs to be thought out really well before the job starts. I mean, it, it, it needs to be, this is how it's going to be. And, you know, making sure that you have everything covered because you can get in a situation where you have no way to, to get power back to an area, you know, or back to a building or back to an area of a building. And then, uh, you know, like I mentioned before, parking and, and getting deliveries into the job uh, can always be a problem. How do you deal with those on the jobs downtown, whether it's sidewalk to sidewalk, how are they dealing with them? And is it, what's successful? What it? Well, hopefully, you know, we're not on a main street, but we've done plenty where they are. But having a good, you know, if we don't have like a lane closure throughout the job or something like that where we can pull off, because it's hard to not do the daily deliveries or, you know, every couple of days it's, we're constantly, there's so many parts and pieces that we need. It's not like we send an order and every little wire nut and, and device is there with us all the time. So it's good to have some, you know, we have to have somewhere to pull off and, you know, with a good entrance at least to pull into, even if we're scheduling these things, you know, 24 hours in advance, whatever, tire wash zone, all that good stuff. And having somebody that sort of, uh, maintains that 
uh, whether it's traffic controllers or whatever. But yeah, it's it's always tough working downtown. But it always we get it in there one way or another. It may be in the back of a pickup truck and you know making ten trips out to a remote location somewhere. But typically we can you know get a small truck in, like get it unloaded, and uh, get them out of there quickly. Okay, so I haven't really talked to anyone um, on the subcontractor side much about it, but what do you think about this lean process that we've um, instituted across all Juno jobs? Um, It's still kind of relatively new for us. We're kind of dialing it in now, but um, especially at the beginning, it was kind of hard on some of them to initially get into it you talking about the daily huddles? The daily huddles yeah I'm mostly not having subcontractor meetings on a weekly basis anymore mm-hmm. and then um, doing pull planning yeah. what what do you feel um, what do you like about it what do you dislike about it? <laughs> before we ever started doing them I, I wasn't with it you know but now that you're doing them I don't see how you could not do them. You know, it's like, it just makes so much sense to do it. And, uh, but what I miss, I miss going to the, uh, weekly or bi-weekly sub meetings, uh, because I'm not myself, I'm not necessarily on the job every day. So it keeps, you know, it keeps me informed of milestones and we get, you know, we still get all that stuff in the schedule, but I like to sit down face to face and, you know, say we have to have this by, and you know, it just, it just heads off problems before, before they ever get there. Um, maybe my superintendent's not keying in on, Oh, this is a big deal. Like we got to have this stuff here. Uh, and nonchalantly mentions it to me. Oh yeah, we need this stuff here in a couple of days. So I'm frantic trying to, you know, but, I definitely um, appreciate the uh, daily huddles. I've not heard any complaints from my superintendents about having them. You know, um, it they just seem to feel like they're uh, an asset to the job. Yeah, and they're informed of what everybody else is doing, and it's just the time, you know, to quickly run in there, see where everybody's going to be that day, find out any problems, you know, where it's, you know, something needs to happen, and um, it's. I mean, it's got to help either way. I mean, it, I think there's been a lot of value in it, but I haven't talked to a whole lot of guys outside of, uh, Juno about it to see what do y'all really feel about it? Do you feel like it's a joke or do you really like it? No, I mean, yeah. I mean, some, some mornings it may be, cause I'm sure some mornings, you know, depending on where you're at in the phase of the job, you probably got two people there, you know, mm-hmm. but still, you know what those two people are doing and it kind of holds everybody accountable as to, Oh, I got to get there and I got to get to this meeting this morning. And, um, literally it just holds everybody accountable and, and it's information to everybody is good. Cause I feel like even if I'm sitting in a sub meeting every week or biweekly, my superintendent's still going to be sitting there with me. Cause I feel like a lot of times you go talk to any of these guys in the field, they ain't got a clue what's going on, especially in the past before the, you know, we had these, you know, daily huddles and, you know, have, I try to have my guys and anything that happens on this job, they're copied on every email and every conversation just because they need to know everything that I know about this job 
and more, you know? So I, I think any information on a daily basis of what's going on is a good thing. All right. Well, I appreciate you coming out and talking to me. This was a, a very helpful and enlightening discussion. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Yeah. All right. I appreciate it. Mm-hmm.